0: In January 2013, a lesbian couple approached a bakery in Oregon and requested a wedding cake. The bakery declined, citing their deeply held Christian beliefs. The couple filed a complaint, citing Oregon's equal protection laws. They also spread the news of their refusal far and wide, and backlash from the public ensued. In the end, $135,000 was awarded to the plaintiffs for pain and suffering. The bakery ended up closing, and the owners are now operating out of their home. Does Does the punishment fit the crime? Dig a little deeper, and you'll find a claim that the couple had been frequent customers of this particular bakery, and had never had any issues with being served. There's also a report that the monetary award wasn't exactly for pain and suffering, but was intended to punish the bakery owners for publishing the name and address of the plaintiffs online which of course led, them, led to them being the subject of harassment. Go just a little further into your research and it appears that the couple may have actually called around town looking for a bakery to refuse service. The owners of the bakery ended up with a GoFundMe and they raised $400,000. Do any of the additional details make you reconsider your initial reaction? I'm sure the truth is in there somewhere But one thing I know for certain is that you can buy a lot of cake with (laughs) $135,000. That's a lot of cake. But it's okay. The bakery still has a quarter of a million left. When I read stories like this, I'm always left wondering who exactly won in this situation. Was it the offended couple? I'm assuming they got the cake somewhere else. The trial took a year. But they could potentially walk away with a hefty sum of money while at the same time proving that discrimination is wrong. Was it the bakery? They were found guilty of discrimination, but they pocketed even more money in the end and became the momentary darling of right-wing conservatives. But they did lose their storefront as the saga played out. Does anyone ever really win in these types of situations? I recently came upon an article in The Atlantic titled, Should Mom and Pops That Forgo Gay Weddings Be Destroyed? Naturally, as the contrarian I tend to be, the title piqued my interest. In the article, the author, Connor Friedersdorf, tries to make the case that not only can there be a way to simply let these dissenters be, it's actually in the best interest of the cause to do exactly that. He argues that if you look hard enough, you will surely find some small business who would refuse to serve a gay wedding. But should we seek to destroy their livelihood to make a point? And if we do choose that course of action, exactly what point have we made? In the article, Friedersdorf writes, if I recorded audio proving their intent to discriminate against a hypothetical catering client and I gave the audio to you, would you post it on the internet and encourage the general public to boycott, write nasty reviews, and drive them out of business, causing them to lay off their staff, lose their life savings, and hope for other work? If that fate befell a Mormon father with five kids, or a childless Persian couple in their fifties, or a Hispanic woman who sunk her nest egg into a pupusa truck, should that, do you think, be considered a victory for the gay rights movement? Is there a way that, we, that it can be okay for people to decline to participate in things they object to on religious grounds? Is this something we can ever figure out how to live with? I believe for me, the answer is yes. How we as religious liberals and the GLBT community engage with people on this, not to mention most other controversial issues, says a lot about us and our character. I think it's easy and tempting to try to quickly occupy what we perceive as the moral high ground in these situations and jump on the down with the haters bandwagon. I can understand the desire to lash out when you feel you've been wronged, especially when you've waited so long for your day to come. But I also think it's important to remember that the people we disagree with us are people too. We live in a world where if someone believes differently than I do, they are flat out wrong and therefore they are my enemy. We need to learn to remember that they have lives and homes and children and families and friends that rely on them. They have hopes and dreams and wishes just like us. They are trying to make it through based on what they know to be their truth, just like me and you. Those who believe differently than I do are just as confident and steadfast in their beliefs as I am. Honestly, they are probably more steadfast. My beliefs tend to change and evolve over time. My religion encourages me to determine my own truth. For Unitarian Universalists, our solace is found in the free search for meaning and self-acceptance. Others find solace in rigid structure and strict, frequently unforgiving doctrine. I strive to be accepting of whatever someone else feels called to believe, but in reality, I still have a hard time reconciling once those beliefs come into conflict with mine. Is there a way we can bridge these divides so that everyone can be happy or at least content? Personally, when engaging with someone with whom I disagree, I try, sometimes successfully, sometimes less so, to begin by recognizing their inherent worth and dignity and assuming goodwill. For instance, I refuse to believe that all opponents of same-sex marriage are evil. And I do not believe that they hate gay people. They most certainly don't hate me personally. I happen to know that I'm lovely. (laughs) You weren't supposed to laugh. Uh, I prefer to think that in most cases, at least, they are more likely the victims of fear mentality. This is not about hating gay people for them. It's really not. It's more likely about the fact that we now live in a society where we are taught, even encouraged, to fear those that are not like us. They, they likely don't actually know any real live gay people, so how could they possibly hate them? These people are terrified by the idea that they are coming for them. That they in this particular situation just happens to be the gays. But it's really not personal, and I think it's important that we remember that. It could just as easily be the liberals, the African-Americans, the Hispanics, the Muslims, and now, of course, Planned Parenthood and the Syrians. I think it's also about a generalized fear of change. I think we all fear the world is falling apart around us. We just differ on the specifics. Environmentalists lie awake at night and fear the end of our planet. The religious right lies awake at night and fears the end of our society's moral center. Arguments against same-sex marriage are largely based on religious objections to redefining marriage. I, and I imagine you, think that's pretty obvious to anyone who's been paying attention that marriage has been continuously redefined. The fact that you didn't purchase your numerous wives for a goat and a bushel of grain pretty much settles that argument for most of us. The number of people who don't realize this simple fact, however, is astonishing. So I'm left believing that it's truly about fearing change and things in people they don't understand. Or maybe for some it's as simple as the fact that they find gay people icky. That's fine. The primary fear of these people, aside from their desire to save us all from hell, of course, has been that same-sex couples obtaining marriage equality is going to force them to comply with and do things that they are not comfortable doing or that they flat out consider wrong. And for some people, our way of calming their fear seems to be to force them to comply and do things they are not comfortable doing. I'm just not convinced that's the best course of action in this case. From this morning's readings, do not let their unjust actions inspire us to justify employing cruel means or else we'll soon become what we set out against. On the left side of the issue, the main argument used against allowing small businesses to cite their religious freedom, to refuse to cater or serve a same-sex wedding, is that it's discrimination. And it is. I'm against discrimination in any form. That said, I can see how an owner of a restaurant could see a difference between serving a gay couple dinner and catering a wedding. One is a daily act of public accommodation. The other is an act of participating in what the restaurant owner might consider an offense to their religious beliefs. One could argue that a wedding is a religious ceremony, where it would be much harder to argue that having dinner is why is it acceptable for a member of the clergy to decline to participate in a ceremony that he or she deems incompatible with their religious beliefs, but not for a business owner? I also think that comparing a baker not wanting to bake a wedding cake to the discrimination that African Americans have faced over the years is at best a generalization and possibly even belittles that struggle. Julian Sanchez of the Cato Institute writes, sexual orientation, unlike race, is not transmitted across generations which means a gay person born in 1980 is not starting from a position of disadvantage that can be traced to a legacy of homophobic laws in the same way that a black person born in 1980 is likely to be disadvantaged by centuries of government-enforced racism. We don't see the same profound and persistent socioeconomic disparities. Sexual orientation is also not generally obvious to casual observation in a commercial context, which as a practical matter makes exclusion more costly and labor-intensive for the bigot. And while, I, while I've seen any number of claims that allowing private orientation discrimination would give rise to a new Jim Crow era, the fact is that such discrimination is already perfectly legal in most of the country, and it seems though, as though very few businesses are actually interested in pursuing such policies. So I would say that while pockets of discrimination and mistreatment directed at the gay community certainly exists and should be dealt with accordingly, there simply has been no widespread systemic effort on the part of the business community to discriminate against the gay community. What we are seeing are one-off situations involving small mom and pop businesses, and these are far and away the exception. They should be treated like the exception, not the rule. In reality, the vast majority of business owners, both large and small, are smart enough to realize that they should not turn away any customers, especially the gay customers, who typically spend at a higher rate than their straight counterparts and also tend to be very socially connected. Discriminating against the gay community is simply bad for business. (laughs) 89% of the companies on the Fortune 500 prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. Unlike protections for African Americans, which were largely imposed by judicial legislative means, this was a voluntary addition to these companies' non-discrimination policies. The higher on the list, the more likely the company is to have an all-encompassing protection for workers. That culture of acceptance filters itself all the way down to the consumer. There are literally businesses that are falling all over themselves to attract me and my money. There are even rainbow-colored Doritos now, for God's sake. (laughs) So why would I waste my time and energy (laughs) insisting that someone take my money? A business doesn't even actually have to refuse service to be tried and found guilty in the court of public opinion. In the article, the author references a small business, Memories Pizza, in Indiana that was approached by a reporter and asked if they would cater a gay wedding. They responded with their truth that they would decline to cater a gay wedding should they be approached, but they would certainly welcome gay customers to dine with them. They didn't actually refuse service to anyone, mind you but just the mere mention of the fact that they might let loose a torrent of negativity and hateful personal attacks. They ended up shuttering their business temporarily while they weathered the storm. To me, the most interesting thing in this story is the fact that some reporter in Indiana seems to think that a gay couple is going to have a local pizza joint cater their wedding. (laughs) Talk about not knowing any gay people. (laughs) It's not going to happen. (laughs) Is this what justice looks like in a 24-hour news cycle, social media-obsessed world? Even the mere mention of disagreeing with the prevailing public opinion and you are tried and convicted? Shouldn't we at least give them the chance to actually discriminate before we pounce? Friedersdorf writes, the owners of Memories Pizza are, I think, mistaken in what their Christian faith demands of them. And I believe their position on gay marriage to be wrong-headed. But I also believe that the position that I'll gladly serve any gay customers but I feel my faith compels me to refrain from catering a gay wedding is less hateful or intolerant than let's go burn that family's business to the ground. Love, compassion and understanding are what conquer fear and change the world. These are people just like me and you. So I choose to start from a place of love. The world has plenty of hate already. I choose to focus on the fact that gay rights is actually a bright spot, a notable exception in our current culture war, and that well over 60% of the population supports equal marriage and protections. How did we get to such a large majority? I personally believe it was because gay people stopped hiding and came out. We We met our neighbors, and we proved that deep down we are all exactly the same. We brought the dogs and a dish to the neighborhood potluck, The struggle for equal rights was won, one person at a time, one conversation at a time. It was won through patience and understanding and by refusing to be anything less than what you were born to be. The way forward, in my opinion, is not through forced compliance. Make no mistake, I firmly believe we need to have anti-discrimination laws on the books in every state, but I just don't think it's necessary to destroy a small business because they don't approve of who you love. If we wish to change hearts and minds, we must be willing to engage from a place of love and compassion. We must be willing to find justice from a place of love and compassion rather than vengeance. And we must realize that change and acceptance take time. My favorite line from our reading this morning is, The challenge is this. Let us take up the miseducation of justice-making by stripping our conscience of images of equity that claim to manifest condemnation through humiliation, through shame and blame, through righteous vindication. So yes, I'm willing to accept that small mom and pops may not want to participate in my wedding. I would certainly voice my disagreement and displeasure, but then I hope I'd have the strength to just move on. I hope I'd let the bigger be the bigger person and let them be. I'm willing to let them cite their religious objection and take them at face value. Who am I to say they aren't going to hell for baking me a cake? Maybe they're right. My religion doesn't have hell, so it's not something I'm versed in. I'm willing to accept this because I am confident enough in myself and my identity to not need their approval or acceptance or especially their cake. I am willing to do this because my religion teaches me to be tolerant of others' beliefs and to realize that we are all on a personal spiritual journey, all of which are equally valid. We are all, each and every one of us, fighting a battle that others know nothing about. I may not agree with someone, but I'm also not in a position to tell anyone what they do or do not believe, just as I don't want them telling me what to believe. I I do not need for them to arrive at the same conclusions I have in their search for truth and meaning. I do not have to agree with someone to recognize their inherent worth and dignity. And I recognize that we are all connected and whatever I put out there will come back to me magnified. And I truly believe that leaving the door open at least a bit could possibly give me the opportunity to move the needle a little further towards acceptance. That's the real goal, isn't it? On a more practical note, I just don't understand why I would ever feel the desire or need to compel someone to provide a service I really don't want anyway. I just don't want it. I have a hard time believing that any of these other people involved in these various lawsuits really wanted the service after finding out how the provider felt. Why would you want to spend the year leading up to your wedding fighting over a cake? There are plenty of people who are beyond ecstatic about participating in my wedding. We haven't even chosen a date yet, and our local family-owned nursery, a local winery, and a local caterer are all chomping at the bit to get us to pick a date so they can be part of it. Love has already won. A lot of time and hard work and plenty of tears has gone into getting the Supreme Court of the United States of America to recognize me as an equal citizen and affirm my constitutionally guaranteed right to marry the person I love. And I'll be damned if I'm going to inject prejudice fear or hate into my wedding day simply to prove a point. I'm happy to prove points and uphold principles any other day, but weddings are supposed to be about love and acceptance and togetherness and the future. And if you aren't supportive, you don't get to participate. Your loss, not mine. I'll close with a quote from author and gay rights activist C.J. Prince. She, um, this, this sums it up nicely for me. She says, Frankly, I've had it with the narcissistic assumption that gay folks are dying to get into any straight club that doesn't want them. So let me be clear about a few things. I do not want to order a wedding cake from a bakery owned by a guy who thinks I'm going to hell. I have no desire to purchase bouquets from a florist who pricks pickets pride parades. I wouldn't serve pizza at a wedding if the owner paid me and offered to serenade my guests with an acapella version of Born This Way. And finally, the suggestion that I would be insane enough to want to force a homophobic clergy person to preside over my most sacred day is beyond insulting. I'm a lesbian who was raised Orthodox Jewish, and even I am not that self-hating. <laughs> Amen, and blessed be.